Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. Every 73 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in America. In the United States alone, one in three women and one in six men have or will have experienced sexual violence in their lifetimes. So why are we so woefully behind as a culture when it comes to addressing these topics and offering meaningful help to survivors and beyond just the culture? Why is the church, the place that should be the safest of havens on paper for survivors, been such a hostile environment for them instead? To talk about that exact topic and how the church can stop being complacent when it comes to addressing sexual abuse within churches, I'm welcoming to the show Carly Cleveland. She is the founder of Real Truth Ministries, a faith-based nonprofit organization that provides trainings for churches, pastors, youth pastors, childcare staff, ministry organizations, place of education, church staff, etc., on biblical care for sexual assault victims. Carly has a powerful story of her own, and we have a great conversation talking about what led to her starting this nonprofit, what her experience was when she disclosed that she was in an abusive relationship to the leadership in her religious institution, and a lot more. Definitely listen to the entire episode, and if you appreciate any of the content in today's show, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and share this episode with someone who needs it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and now let's get into my interview with Carly Cleveland. Carly, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, and as people heard in your introduction, you're a certified sexual assault counselor, you're running a ministry that focuses on how we deal with abuse. We talk about a lot of issues that are the things we cover on the show, like how can churches address those? But I want to go back to the beginning. What was your introduction to the church? Was it something you grew up in? Were you born into it? How'd you get started with the church or religion in general? Yeah. So I grew up in a family that was pretty religious, I guess you could say. 
I grew up Catholic actually for quite a few years. And then when I was nine or 10, we moved from upstate New York to Utah and we started attending a non-denominational church there. But I grew up in a non-denominational Christian school. So I, and my parents were more non-denominational evangelical than anything else. And so we had that all throughout our growing up years. Would you say it was a positive experience for most of your time growing up? Did you ever feel like any of the issues that you talk about now, did you see any of those or identify those? Or was that not until it involved your specific story? Yeah, growing up, I had a pretty positive experience growing up in the church. And like I said, I've been a part of the evangelical community for pretty much my whole life. And I really never heard about abuse. I never learned healthy or unhealthy relationship traits or red flags or about codependency or any of those things. I never learned about sexual assault or abuse. I really probably couldn't have even told you what sexual assault was, even while I was experiencing it. I wouldn't have known Mm. to call it sexual abuse because it just wasn't a part of the things that we learned and talked about. Yeah. I know that your story in kind of whatever you want to call it, advocacy and starting to unpack this came from your personal story and coming from a background where there isn't much education about these things and you're not taught how to identify it. How did you identify the relationship that you were in was unhealthy and what prompted you to go to the church and try to talk about it? Yeah. So I was 16 when I was in an unhealthy relationship. It's actually, it started when I was 16 and the unhealthy part didn't really start until I was 17 and the sexual abuse started then. And so it was at first as healthy as a 16 year old relationship can be, especially within like purity culture and within the church. And you don't call it dating and all of those weird factors, but it was fairly healthy when it started. And then there was red flags that even just in your gut, sometimes something's wrong, but I didn't know how to identify those things. And just didn't have the right education to tell me this is not a relationship that you should be in, or this person isn't treating you the way that they should. And so that for a long time, I, I just really didn't know. And it was like this cycle of abuse where somebody hurts you and abuses you and they promise to change and you reset boundaries and they say it's going to be differently. And then it all starts over again. And so I just genuinely believe that this was a person that really wanted to do better and they were trying. And for some reason they just couldn't respect boundaries and they couldn't respect consent. And if I just loved them out of it and just used all these church tools that I had, I could help them and just didn't really know until after the fact. And it even took a while after that, even after I came forward with the story of abuse and the truth started slowly leaking out. It took a while for me to really understand what had happened Hmm. And seeing that it, it's hard to comprehend, especially when you're young, it's hard to see when you really have feelings for someone as well, that you thought it was a relationship and you thought you were helping this person and they were treating you like an object, like a thing to be used. So it's hard to reconcile with after that. What was the response of the leadership? Did you go to the pastors or, or who was it that you went to? And what was the response? Because when I was reading it, you mentioned that there was this kind of harsh and critical nature to it, which I think, like you mentioned, purity culture, I think within a lot of these circles, that story shared by dozens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of women who come forward with this stuff is it's shame, guilt. Was that your experience? And what was the, the verbal response from the church? 
Yeah, so I was part of an organization and there was a network of leaders. It was a place of education. So there was, there's teachers mm. and people on a board, and then there's also connections with other churches and things like that. So there was a lot of leaders involved. At first, it was very harsh, especially from the female leaders that I spoke to actually. Mm. And it was very much like either people were responding, we believe you, but it was your fault. Like you must have done something to cause this. It's because you dressed this way or you did this thing or whatever. Or it was that we don't believe you because this kind of thing doesn't happen to Christians or it doesn't happen on the Christian yeah. campus. But um, by and large, it was very, which I think a lot of Christian organizations like to do. It was like, we need to get this taken care of as quickly as possible, as quietly as possible. We don't want you to talk about it. We don't want there to be any kind of basically evidence that this has happened. Try to go back to normal as much as you can. And if you can't, then you're out. Why do you think that's the default response of, you mentioned like most organizations. Why do you think that is the most default reaction? I think that we sometimes, and especially within the evangelical church, we have a bad theology about abuse and survivors of abuse Mm -hmm. and it makes us uncomfortable. And I think sometimes, honestly, as believers, like we feel this just deep, even like visceral reaction of just hearing about abuse and hearing just the horrifying realities of it. And it's like the Holy spirit, I think sometimes just like grieving deeply inside of us and we don't want to feel it. We don't want to have those feelings. We don't know how to deal with them. A lot of us, like you said, we grew up in purity culture and had a lot of negative effects from that. And we didn't learn the godly response to abuse or even a godly maybe theology on sex and marriage. And so when we hear about sexual abuse and someone being misused that way, we don't know how to react. And so we don't want to, and we want to get it over with as quickly as we can. We want to get back to normal. We don't want to be inconvenienced by a victim. Hmm. We don't want to be inconvenienced by having to believe that someone that we like or maybe love or have a relationship with could be a perpetrator of sexual abuse and causes harm. We want it to go back to normal. Yeah. I think there's some level where I was talking with Tiffany Bloom. She wrote a, a really good book called Pray Tell. And one of the things that I just thought about it as I was talking with her was, I think there is, especially when we look at male leadership, because that's typically who the leadership is within the church. I think a lot of times the reason we choose not to see that they're abusive or the reason we choose not to see that there's something wrong or even a red flag is because we ourselves feel like idiots because we didn't see it. We missed all of these things. We, oh, he was, he bought me this and he did this event and ran this ministry. And it takes a lot as a church member or as a church leader to recognize and admit that you miss something. And I think that's a really, it's just pride and ego, really. It's saying, oh, I would have known if they were doing something bad, I would have figured it out and I would have said something. And I think that keeps a lot of churches relatively silent when it comes to this stuff, or at least silent until they can't be anymore, which is unfortunate. I want to talk about, you, you mentioned it was a lot of women that responded this way. And this is something that I... 160 plus episodes in, I still can't wrap my head around. So I understand purity culture from the male perspective. I understand the power dynamics to some extent of there's certain people that have power. They don't want to relinquish that power to someone else. In the case of Christianity, it's often the kind of patriarchal structure and and all of that. 
but I'm always fascinated when women are the ones propagating this and pushing these myths and bringing the shame in these situations. Why do you think that there's not more of a sympathy and kindness coming from other women in the church to victims of abuse? That's a really interesting question. I think it's a lot of how we've been raised and we keep talking about purity culture, but it's the giant it's kind of kind of have to circle it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And that's a conversation I've been having a lot and been writing about a lot. And I think that we just, we just got so many unbiblical and unchristian ideas that we stamped with the label Christian because it was to keep kids from having sex. And if it was pro abstinence, then it pretty much got the green check mark every time, even mm. if it was very harmful. And a lot of those ideas, just a lot of them said women are sexual objects or maybe not blatantly like that, but that was the idea behind them. Or I think, like I was saying earlier, we have a bad theology of sex and marriage sometimes, especially in the evangelical church, we idolize marriage Hmm. and we idolize sex as like the ultimate source of intimacy and comfort and love, not Jesus, not like the author of our salvation and the one who can meet all of our needs and the true like intimacy that we can have is, is only with him. And so I think when we idolize marriage and we idolize sex and we start seeing sex as like this gratification for yourself, and that turns into seeing someone as an object, seeing women as objects to be used, and we take submission out of context and we weaponize that towards women. And so I think a lot of it is just a misunderstanding. And specifically within the organization I was a part of, I genuinely in my heart don't believe any of those people were trying to cause harm. I think they really thought they were doing what was Mm. right. They genuinely thought that like the values they had about sex and marriage and someone being mistreated as a sexual object, like they, they thought they were handling it in the best way that they could. And they just didn't have the tools. They didn't have the education. They grew up in this system that hides perpetrators a lot of times and pushes out victims. And so it was just a lot of bad elements mixing together in that situation. Yeah. It's a, it's a powder keg. You've got, I've talked about this before, but you've got guys being taught sex is awesome. Don't do it until you're married. And that's the only teaching on sex you're getting. And then women are being taught, like you're, going to get married and you're going to do whatever your husband tells you. And like you said, weaponized submission, which I think is a great way to describe it. And I was, I forget what group it was in, but I was in a group and they were asking harmful teachings you'd heard about relationships. And one of the things I, I remember just hearing teaching within the church context, I remember one of the youth pastors was talking to the guys about porn and they're like, if you're struggling with that, you need to you want to stay pure. So you need to hurry and get married. So then you can use your wife to fulfill those needs. And it's okay. (laughs) You just set up a really bad relationship because you didn't address anything about consent or love or affection. It was, you get to use this person to fulfill all of these things that you want to do. And then on the flip side too, it was women were, they were treated as objects from the time they were little kids saying like, wear this, do this, say this. And it just, it, it is a powder keg waiting for a match to be lit. And I look at, I look at relationships of people that I grew up with who grew up in the same context. And I'm like, all of them that have healthy relationships. I'm like, that is so lucky that you guys grew at the same rate because it, your recipe for disaster, the way that you're taught growing up. Yeah, that's, 
It's so interesting. My husband actually grew up in the same, we've known each other for a long time and he grew up in the same environment and with a lot of the same people. And he was actually told as a kid by church leaders that like, you just won't be able to resist looking at porn and you won't be able to resist objectifying women in this way. It's just going to happen. And so here's what to do after instead of, and, and that's a big element of purity culture too, is saying, oh, you can't control yourself, which is mm-hmm. so unbiblical, which yeah. is so, so beyond what anything God's word says, but just saying you can't have that self-control. So this is what's going to happen. And so we're telling young men, you won't have control of yourself or your mind. And so these yeah. things are going to happen. And then we're telling young women, pretty much your purpose is to get married. And that's the ultimate goal in life. And then you're supposed to just please your husband with whatever you do. And we're just we're missing so much that, like you said, it doesn't get to any of the root issues and sex wasn't made to heal our pains or give us an identity. It's the comfort of God that, that gives us those, like that can only truly comfort our souls and he gives us a purpose. And we, we miss a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, obviously, like I mentioned, it, it takes a long time to identify I'm in an abusive relationship going to the church. And did you realize when you first went to them, like their response to me is wrong? Or was it something where that too took a while for you to like really feel comfortable saying, okay, this isn't being handled correctly. And what is the proper way to handle this? That's a really great question. I haven't thought about that a lot. I really didn't know what people were going to say. I really didn't know that this was a thing that people reacted badly to. Like I said, I wouldn't have even known to call it sexual abuse or assault until after the fact, like way after the fact. So I had no idea what the reaction was going to be going into it. And abuse is such a liar, like just to like the essence of who you are as a person. And so it's already telling you like, like I really genuinely believed this person did this to me because I'm worthless. I'm not pretty. If I had, if I was funny and smart and cute, and if I, I had any value, then he would treat me like a person. Like he wouldn't have done these things to me. And so it's, you're already being told all these lies and believing these things that are not true about yourself and the inherent value you has, you have as a creation of God made in his image. And so I already had that swimming around my head and then going in people reacting so badly and saying, what's your fault? It's because you did this, these things added up. And that's why this happened. And men can't help themselves. This is just what happens. I, for a while really believed it. I was already setting myself up in my head to believe those things. And it took me a long time hearing other people's stories. This was pre me too movement. So it was pretty Hmm. far between where we heard, where I heard stories of people's sexual abuse, especially within the church, that wasn't a thing that was accepted a lot to be vocalized. So as I started hearing more people's stories and honestly, just like seeing how Jesus actually treated hurting people, that's when I started to realize this is not okay. And this, if it's happening to me, this must be happening to other people as well. Yeah. So Tell me a little bit about deciding to start addressing this yourself. Obviously, you started taking the steps to start learning how to counsel sexual abuse victims, starting obviously your ministry now, which we can definitely dive into here because I want people to know about that. What kind of led you to start saying, I'm addressing what's happened to me, but now I can start mobilizing and helping others. What kind of started that? And where do you, where did you start? Because I think a lot of times people get really passionate about something and go, I have no idea what to do next. <laughs> I'm really passionate about this. How do I start being an advocate for other people? 
Yeah, for me, it took a while. I knew that I wanted out of the gate when I started to realize this is wrong and this must be happening to others as well. That's what kind of like prompted me that I really want to do whatever I can to help make sure this doesn't happen to other people because I felt like I so just needed and wanted someone to stand up for me and be an advocate for me because it was like, I'm using my voice, but no one's listening. So I need someone to step in and also advocate and use their voice and mm. act on that as well. I was really fortunate after being in this situation and then also in this faith community that reacted really poorly. I was fortunate to be able to move into a church and faith community that was the opposite and brought so much healing and was like such a gift. And so seeing how they did ministry and how it was so healthy and how they addressed conflict and conflict with believers and really hard, messy topics it encouraged me like, this is possible. It's not mm. a pipe dream. We can actually do this. We just have to really dive into God's word and the teachings of Jesus and model what he actually said and did. And so it, it brought me to a place where I just wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn the facts about abuse and the statistics. And there's so much to dive into there. So I spent quite a lot of time there just learning about the basics of it and I don't even remember how I found it. I think it was just like suggested for me on Facebook. There was this training to become a sexual assault counselor and get your 78 C3 certification with the state. So I took it and it was a week long training and there was city prosecutors and police officers and sexual assault nurses and all these people who were sharing their expertise on how do we care for survivors of abuse and how do we how are we hurting them with the way we're acting now? And how can we do this better? And I was like, the church needs this. This needs to be something that every pastor has, that every, even just believer, someone in a congregation, parents, they need this information. It is so valuable to ministry, especially within a church. So I just started creating a curriculum that was basically that super concentrated and like a a shorter version, but also infused with biblical truth and based on the Bible and, and how God models for us to teach or to care for victims of sexual assault and abuse. Yeah. I got to ask about this because I think for so many people that are abused within church contexts or see trauma within a church context or see it mishandled in a church context, it can be a devastating blow to your faith. It can be, I've talked about it. There's been many times this year where I've seen how pastors respond to abuse victims where the only way I can say it feels like an emotional sledgehammer. It's man, why is this happening in a place that it should not be happening the most? And you still have a very strong faith. Everything you do seems rooted within that. Was there any part of you throughout this journey that struggled with the faith side and reconciling, like, how did this happen within a faith context? And I guess moving forward, how do you reconcile those two things? Like something, there's really bad things happening within the church, but also you have a very strong faith. Like how do you reconcile those two things? I definitely relate to you struggling this year, particularly. Um, And last year, just hearing so many stories of abuse and through the Me Too movement and within the church and just feeling so frustrated and what are we doing? within the church context and the world, of course, but specifically, like you said, we're supposed to be the people that care for survivors. Why are we treating them this way? And even being the ones who are causing the abuse. I think early on, 
for me, I really struggled with, I, I honestly struggled with, do I even believe this? Am I even a Christian right now? Because hmm. it was like, I never was mad at God or I was, that's not true. I just, I didn't hmm. have this. I don't believe you're not real anymore or had my struggle with the person of Jesus or even God's character. Really? It was just really the church. And I've had to sort through those things and realize it's not that I don't believe that I don't believe God or what he said or Jesus. I love that person. I love what he did and what he teaches. It's just that I'm a part of this group that is saying that they're the body of Christ and then they're, they're hurting people in this way. And do I want to be a part of a group that says they're one thing and then acts this way? Mm. And so there was a lot of struggle and sitting in that for a long time. And like I said, I was fortunate to go from that to a, a really great healing environment. And I think that was something God used to help heal those things and encourage me forward. But I definitely still struggle with that. And like I said, not really anymore the person of Jesus or his character or God or even the Bible. It's just why are we saying that we're the bride of Christ and we're acting in a way that is so contrary to that. And what does that mean for us now? That's something I'm struggling with a lot, even now. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to, you know, it, it, and like I said, it's one of those things where like on paper, the church should be the safest place. Like you, it's, it almost sounds like just, it just sounds like two incompatible words. When you hear like church abuse, when you first start thinking about that, I, I remember, I remember being in like 11th grade and first ever realizing this happened within my denomination. And it was like, it was jarring because you're like, oh, this is my safe bubble. <laughs> What's happening? This doesn't make any sense. And I, I, I think this kind of leads to one thing you brought up before we had this conversation that I think is a super important one to have. But you talked about listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast probably have listened to that show. Uh, it's a podcast talking about Mark Driscoll and, and the Mars Hill the rise and fall of Marcel. And you mentioned how they talked about complacency within the church and how that can lead to abuse. And the other question that I always have circling my mind is we see the abuse clearer than ever before within churches that like you mentioned the me too movement and the church a little bit late to the game a year or two later with kind of the church to people coming out, sharing their stories. So there's people that are hearing these stories people are listening to this podcast, reading these books, they're getting very passionate, want to talk about this, but there's still a lot of complacency within the church. There's still a lot of people hearing these stories and then going and seeing the pew and business as usual. Why do you think there's such an issue of complacency in the church? And how do you think we can start shifting that? And for people that are sitting there feeling like there's nothing for them to do, how can they shake off that complacency and start taking some action? Those are great questions. There's six questions, so I hope <laughs> no so work through those one by one. <laughs> Bullet points. Yeah, the rise and fall of Marcel Church has been so interesting for me to hear because certain faith communities I've been a part of, I see, even though they were not on such a grand scale, I see a lot of similarities. And I think that when I, that has been a healing experience and a growing experience for me to listen to that, because I think back to when I was a part of a church community and system where it was like, there's this group that's in and there's this group that's out and you just want to be in. And if you're hurting or there's some kind of public, something's made public about how you're hurting or like abuse has happened or just something bad has happened and it's messy. 
we don't want to touch that. So you're out and we, we don't want to get our hands dirty over here. So we're not going to touch it. We're not going to talk about it publicly. Maybe we'll talk to you about it privately on the side, but never publicly. We're not going to address those things. And I remember one of my friends going through something completely devastating, very traumatic for her. And it wasn't sexual abuse, but something different. And I remember still being in that group and kind of being on the quote unquote in crowd and thinking that really sucks. Like you just have to hope and pray that something bad doesn't happen to you like this person. And you just hope that you don't end up on the out crowd. And there were so many things when I listened to Mars Hill and when I think back now and walk through those things again, before I went through abuse, I see so many situations where me and my group of friends were so complacent and willingly turned the other way to not see those things, to not help the hurting people because we just didn't want to get our hands dirty with it. We didn't know how to respond. We didn't know how to be in the mess and still be a part of the body of Christ. We didn't learn how to do that. And so we willingly turned our heads the other way. And I didn't see how devastating that was to a person and to a person's faith and their and how they view church and God and all of those things until it happened to me. And these people who say, we're the body of Christ, treat you in a way like we've been talking about that is so contrary to that. Yeah. So yeah, that that has been really healing and good for me to look back and see that I was a part of the same system that hurt me. And, and I hurt other people with that as well. Yeah. And, uh, I can't remember your other questions. <laughs> no, I, for someone who's, who recognizes that. And that was something that was very hard for me starting to talk about this and starting to think back and really process everything that I grew up in. And there's good and bad. Like I, I talk about, I grew up in church. So all of my good memories and bad memories in equal measure come from that place. For me, there are elements now where I think, oh, I, I was at the very least, I was a jerk about this when I was within this context or, or I invited people to attend a church where now there's a sexual predator who's on the pulp, on the stage every single Sunday. And I feel some level of guilt that even though he wasn't there when I invited them to that church then, and all these sorts of things. And I, I guess for someone who's sitting there, maybe they're listening to this. Like I always say, I hope there's people secretly listening to this off in a corner somewhere you know, if they're listening and they're saying like, I've been complacent, I've noticed that there's some things wrong. I'm just going in, keeping my head down and sitting in the pew every Sunday. How do they shake off that complacency and start taking action that's actually helpful to people who've been abused or people who've been hurt within the church? Yeah, I think that you have to start with asking yourself the question, do I really believe this? Do I really believe the Bible? Do I believe it literally in context and all of those things? But do I believe that this is real? Because if I do, then I believe that Jesus is like the ultimate hope for the world, the ultimate healing. And so if I am, if I have some other agenda besides that, like pushing my opinion or pushing something to try to get abuse out of the picture, to try to cover something up, to try to make us look good and to keep the reputation of the church clean or whatever is going through your mind. That is so contrary to the gospel and what we're commanded to do as believers. And so I think just asking yourself, is this, do I really believe this? And if I do, what can I actually do to help this person? And I would, I really recommend just, even if you don't know what to say to a survivor, I know that can be really hard for some people who 
it makes them feel, it makes us all feel uncomfortable, but makes them feel very uncomfortable and they don't know how to approach it. Just say, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And this is not what God intended for you. And asking them what they need. I just so wanted someone to like really care and just like talk to this perpetrator and just say, why did you lie? Like, why did you lie about what you did? And why did you do this? And why are you pretending? That's all I wanted someone to do for me. And I think it can be so valuable just to ask. And also, I think sometimes, like you mentioned, people can hear what we're talking about and hear the right ways to handle abuse and the wrong ways. And if they've handled it incorrectly, like I shared, overlooking terrible cases where people were hurting and isolated and I just looked the other way. It's hard to reconcile that with yourself. It's hard to understand and sometimes hard to take responsibility for those things. But the reason that I I do what I do is because I want to encourage the church that you don't have to stay that way. We can make it better. We can, the only way that we're going to make this better is together. And the people inside of the church have to be the ones who are advocating for change and making these big changes. So I think all those things working together can really help us help survivors. And then also just working to create an environment where abuse doesn't thrive, where perpetrators aren't able to hide, where we don't willingly look away from abuse because we don't want to deal with it, where we actually hold people accountable and get survivors the help that they need and care for them, but also proactively fight abuse, teach teaching kids consent and teaching kids like those red flags we talked about in healthy and unhealthy relationships. What do we need to look out for? And also just helping to get perpetrators the serious psychological help that they need because we can't just say, oh, you're forgiven and we throw you back in and now you're the worship leader that we're creating a whole nother cycle of abuse again. The education part is something that you're focused on now and with your organization, you're going to churches and you're trying to address this and, you know, it's no small task. Like the, the issues in many of these cases are deep rooted, whether it's the issues, I think most often complacency and just ignorance for how to address some of these things. But in other cases, there's organizations that are just truly don't care, but it, at least it feels like that. It feels like you see places where this happens over and over again. And so when you're going in to try to start this dialogue with the church, when you're going in and trying to sit down in front of a congregation that comes from a myriad of different backgrounds, what, where are you starting this conversation? And where do you think, where do you think this begins for a church? It's different for everyone because some people in churches, like you said, really don't care and they don't even think it's an issue or they don't want to believe that it's an issue. Mm. So they're willingly overlooking a lot of things, but some people are, they're more in tune to that. There, there are good pastors and churches out there, I promise. And they genuinely want to learn and they want to create a better system. And then there's some people who are in the middle who know there's something wrong, but maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe we should just learn these different things. And so we start out with just what is sexual abuse and what is rape and sexual assault and those different things. Because like I said, I didn't know. I think a lot of people, especially older generations, they really don't even know what it means and what it is. And, and then we take that and look at um, statistics and facts, just the scale of the problem and how many people it affects. And it's estimated that one in three people will experience some kind of contact sexual violence in their lifetime. So We want people to understand that translates into your church, into your pews, into your men's and women's ministries, into your children's ministries. Those people are in your church. And Mm -hmm. how can we 
help them. And then we look at what is a biblical way that we can do this. We know that there's a problem. How do we take care of this in a way that is going to stop this culture of abuse, stop facilitating it and hiding it and making it a a lot of churches are a place where abuse thrives. And that's why perpetrators specifically go to those places because they know that people don't want to deal with it and they don't want to believe that there are perpetrators out there. Mm-hmm. So they, they find victims there. And so trying to stop that, trying to change the way that we teach kids and teach purity culture and just change the system and, and use the Bible, but also just use facts and education. Yeah. Yeah. For somebody who is interested in checking out your information specifically, what's the best place for them to find out more about you, see some of the resources you put together and see if it would be a good fit to potentially have you share your story within their context? Yeah. So you can go to the realtruthministries.com or I think that's our Instagram handle as well, the Real Truth Ministries, or mine is Carly Ray Cleveland. And we On our website, we try to share a lot of resources that would be helpful for different things that you can do that would help survivors or hurt them or uh, different resources for parents or parents of different kids who have been abused or sexual abuse survivors. And we also have listed the trainings that we offer. We offer sexual assault care trainings, which is for pastors, leaders, even parents or people within a congregation, schools, different things like that. And then we offer more trainings now like we have a biblical purity curriculum where we try to dismantle all of this nonsense stuff that's not from the Bible and teach kids. You can still pursue biblical purity, but you don't need all this biblical purity nonsense that doesn't have to do with God's word and other things like that, parent and child consent trainings and different things so we can care for victims, but also proactively fight abuse. Right. That's awesome. If you're listening, definitely head to the show notes, check out um, all the links there. If what Carly said resonated with you, definitely see if it would be a good fit. And I know there are good pastors who listen to this show. I, I know I know there's a lot of very vocal antagonistic pastors that like to listen to the show, but I know there's also many who are sitting there going, I'm realizing this is a problem. I don't know where to start addressing it. And I think baseline, just having the conversation is a great first step. It might be super messy. It might not work. uh, It might not work super well in the beginning, but I think beginning the conversation and letting people in your church know one, if they're abusing others, it's not a place for them, but also just having the conversation is going to let people know who are holding onto this stuff and are affected by this, it gives them a place to be able to speak freely and openly about it. So definitely check out Carly's resources. I've been doing a lot of digging before having her on the show and looking at her stuff and really appreciate you sharing your story and giving some insight to our audience today. Is there anything else you want to leave with them before we wrap up today's episode? Any words of wisdom or uh, thoughts or even anything else you want to plug before we uh, wrap up? No, that's great. I just want to thank you and other people who are like you for speaking up about abuse. It, especially because primary, there are male victims as well, and we don't want to overlook them, but primarily because most of the victims, especially within the church are female victims. It's really helpful. Like to have people, I have a great pastor, my husband, people like you who are men who speak up about abuse. It's really encouraging that like people actually care about us and they care to change this. I just want to encourage others as well to Maybe they don't do what you do or something similar to what I do, but you can still, whatever small contribution you feel you can make, just take that step and make it for someone because it can make all the difference for a survivor. 
Amazing. Love it. Thank you for joining me. And definitely guys, if you're listening, be sure to check out those links in the show notes until next time. I will talk to you soon. Sweet, 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 sweet. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com.